I'm Meg Dahl, your Unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. Now, I'm really excited to be sitting down with you today. I'm back in my office, back home. It feels so good, even though I definitely will be missing all of the travels. So I had a lot of travel packed into the last four months and I just got home from my very last trip of 2019. It's so crazy that it's already December 4th when you're listening to this live as I'm recording it. It is December 3rd, the day before. I always like to record these intros the day before I release my episodes just because I love sitting down and having kind of like a current chat with you. So today's episode comes at a really perfect time, I think. If you follow me over on Instagram, I am Meg Dahl. That's my handle over on Instagram if we're not friends over there yet. I've been talking a lot about how I don't talk about food that much as a nutritionist. I am a nutritionist that doesn't really talk all that much about food, but I've been talking about that more recently just because of the American Thanksgiving that just happened Thursday and then over the weekend. It was kind of like Thanksgiving weekend, right? And I do a really good job at keeping my Instagram feed filled with accounts that are in alignment with how I live my life and my beliefs and my values and all those good vibes, right? I really um, set clear boundaries on who I follow on Instagram. And it just really like kind of shook me this past holiday weekend. I, of course, it wasn't a holiday here in Canada, but this Thanksgiving holiday weekend, I was just so amazed by how many accounts that I really do um, love following, but there was just so much conversation around food. So I actually talked about this on Instagram a few times now, but I thought it was just important to sit down on the podcast and talk a little bit more about it and why I'm talking about um, this kind of issue <laughs> that I'm seeing. So there was just so basically like my whole Instagram feed was just all about food and it's coming from like a anti-diet place, right? So I don't follow um, diet accounts on Instagram, but I will follow intuitive eating accounts, things that make me feel good and things like that. But then um, they can have this like anti-diet message to them when they post. And that's what rubs me the wrong way. And there's just so much talk about food and whether that's coming from a diet perspective or an anti-diet perspective, we're still talking about food. And it was really, really um, noticeable this Thanksgiving weekend. And it just kind of made me take a step back and want to talk about the fact that like kind of why I don't love talking about food all the time anymore. (laughs) Number one, obviously, there's so much more to life than talking about food. 
But the main reason is I believe that the more we talk about food, the more we make it such a big deal, the more power we give to it. So for an example, this Thanksgiving weekend, all of these accounts focusing on just eat whatever you want. Don't worry. Um, like have the turkey and the mashed potatoes and the gravy and just talking about food and really hyping it up, right? We're making it a big deal when it's not a big deal. And that's what my issue was. <laughs> when we're making something like food that's literally just food, this really, really big deal when it doesn't have to be a big deal. So yeah, I still talk about food. I I post recipes about food because I love food. We all eat food. We all need to eat food. And when I make a really great recipe, I'm going to share it with you guys. But what I'm saying here is that when a holiday comes around, we don't need to talk about food all the time because we're just giving more power to it. Okay, so that's kind of um, the message that I really wanted to share with you today. And honestly, this podcast episode, our interview, our guest today, that's what I'm trying to say, Tracy Brown, this interview I have with Tracy just comes at such a right time. So Tracy is a somatic nutrition therapist as well as a registered dietitian and a tuned eating coach. And she has her own private practice and she works one-on-one -on -one with clients um, online, things like that. And she's just this incredible woman. And if you love anything I talk about, which if you're listening to this podcast, then thank you so much for being here and thank you for supporting and jiving with what I have to say. But if you love what I say, you are going to love what Tracy and I talk about today. And it really is aligned with what I'm talking about when I talk about food and how I don't love talking about food because we're just giving more power to it. And with what Tracy does with her somatic nutrition therapy, we go deeper and start decoding the way we talk about food and also the way we talk about our bodies. So you're going to absolutely love this interview I have with Tracy. She is a rock star. And if you love her, which I know you will, um, just hop over to her website. It is Tracy Brown RD. You can also follow her on Instagram. All those things are linked up in the show notes. And yeah, I just want to say thank you for being here. As always, I truly appreciate it. And I love seeing when you take screenshots of you listening to the show, post it on Instagram and be sure you tag me so I actually see it or else I'll probably miss it. So take a screenshot if you're loving the show post it on Instagram, tag me at I am Magdal and we can connect over on Instagram. I love hearing from you and thank you so much for supporting the show. I truly appreciate it and we'll chat next week. Thanks guys. Hey Tracy, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on today. I know before we hit record, I was saying that I just cannot believe that you and I are only connecting now. It feels like we've known each other forever or we should have known each other forever. No, absolutely. I you know, good. We agreed the same thing and that's maybe a good thing that our what we believe in and what we're trying to share with people is getting bigger. So it's not just, there's only six people out there. So this is, it's a good problem. Yeah, for sure. So I gave our listeners a little bit of an intro to you before we started our conversation, but would you like to introduce yourself to our audience today? Sure. So my name is Tracy Brown. I'm a, and I'll explain what these terms mean, but not be like too fancy or anything. 
but I'm a somatic nutrition therapist, a dietitian, and a, a tune, I call myself a tuned eating and body image specialist. So um, we'll do the fancy stuff versus somatic just means of the body. And I've learned over the last 13 years of being a practitioner and then in my own recovery, you know, like 20 plus years ago is that um, we can read all the books and listen to all the things, but sometimes we need help from the body and to feel safer in the body to be able to make all this non-diet body positive stuff feel like it's like real in our bodies and our cells and our bones. Like we believe it in like from the neck down versus just like I've read all the books, but, and I believe in it, but I can't quite get it in the body. So I do a lot of work on that level, not just like teaching intuitive eating um, or like um, movement in a way that's not compulsive, um, you know, some other nutrition kind of things like that. And then uh, the attuned part is just, you know, teaching us how to do the really gen- like the things we were born to do, which is eat from hunger and fullness, you know, like food, don't like food, take her to leave it. I mean, it's, I try to make it as simple as possible. Awesome. So, so you mentioned your own recovery. So can we yeah, talk a little so, bit more about that and yeah. kind of like your background um, and mm-hmm. what led you to doing this work today? I, I love that question because it's very much one of those like, uh, the story is long, like most of ours. I mean, I don't know how much detail we want to drag up, but it's one of those things that like, you know, I grew up in relatively like nice people and parents, but like all people, we all drag our generational stuff into where there's misattunements. You know, I never, I'm not to my memory. I have any super major big traumas, but it's just lots of misattunements and lots of perfectionism and lots of, you know, avoiding criticism and all that stuff. So as time goes on, you can only hold all that in for so long being who you're not. And then I got a new sort of developed in my mid teens. And it took me until I was about 22, you know, 23 to get it at a place where it's like, you know, I could say I can, um, leave, you know, left this behind. So it's like seven, eight years. And that's pretty, unfortunately, typical. And, you know, most people are like, oh, year and a half, I'm good, I'm done. But uh, I wish that was the case. But the thing that was kind of pivotal for me um, was, it's interesting. I you know, had a dietitian and I saw a therapist and... Um, I know a lot of amazing therapists, a lot of amazing coaches, but I happen to not have the right fit. And so it happens a lot that we have the wrong fit. We don't think anything helps. So if that ever happened to you, if you're listening, don't give up, find your right fit. Um, that's really important because there are really good people that can help, but I didn't have the right fit at the beginning. So I just kind of was the, was the therapy dropout at like 18 years old, but I had a dietitian. And she doesn't, I don't even know if she's still around, you know, living, but she, I had worked with a couple before that. And she was like, what do you want to eat? I'm like, oh, well, somebody asked me what to eat. And she's not making me do a meal plan. And, um, and I was like, well, I can't eat this or this. It's too much. And I had to do a lot of cognitive work, you know, with the food stuff. And she's like, if you want to eat three of those a day as your grains or whatever, you can do that. I'm like, oh. And the thing that's so missing for so many of us is choice, mm. you know, and, and not even having a relationship with food, but like, like it's okay for me to want that thing and not feel like it's a bad thing. So, you know, needs are a, are a big player in why some people get in disorders and why some people don't like, it's hard to feel safe to reach out for what you need to feel like it's okay to need what you need. And those are some of the underlying things. But anyway, it was like that first open door to like, Oh, it's okay for me to want what I want and have needs and get them met. And I'm not a piece of crap. Wow. Awesome. And so I thought, I'm going to be a dietitian <laughs> making this decision at 18. Yeah. Um, but I go to school and I recognize, Oh my gosh, like probably a huge percentage of what I'm learning here is totally colluding with an eating disorder. Like that's that mindset and being doing things right. And, and all that. And I, by the time I was graduating, and I had this transition into intuitive eating by that time, by the end I graduated, I was like, I don't know, I'm going to do this piece of paper because I'm going to have to either get in a career or figure out how to be a dietitian and kind of do something like this lady did, but do the body image piece of it too. Cause I didn't get to that part. It took me a long time to like, um, work on all the distortions. And I have lots of stories to tell you about that, how I did that. But, uh, Anyway, it's one of those things that I had to learn so much. And most of the nutrition information that we have out there, all the doctor Googling we do, it's like, it's all very fear mongery and it's not a trust-based model. 
And so I just had, you know, I learned like in my mid twenties, I started getting trained to do this. And so now I'm 41. So it's been that many years since all that. And, um, you know, I've just been really fortunate to find really good mentors who were like non-diet health at every size long, long time ago. So that was really big. And I've always been, that's always been my approach. So it's, I haven't had to like unlearn some things that I regret in terms of like how I treated people. So I've been really fortunate that way. But anyway, um, so we can talk more about some details about all that or how I do things now and, and what I encourage you all to do. But I'll just, I'll stop the story there. It's just one of those things that like, we all have our journeys and sometimes they're long and winding, but, um, you know, I just recognize that, you know, what's happening on our plates, it's a reflection of something in our lives or either externally or internally, that's just feeling too much or not enough. And we don't know how to negotiate it any other way yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Honestly, when I was listening to you describe your time with the dietitian and then that prompted you to go study dietetics, that's honestly exactly what happened to me. I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but I was working with a dietitian and then I went to university and studied dietetics, but I actually didn't do my internship to become a dietitian because again, I was just feeling like some conflict within myself and I knew I wanted to not like, there was just so much focus on like macros and carbs, fat, protein, like everything was so like boxy to me. And I didn't feel like I was actually getting to like the root of things. Right. right? Well, let me share about that. So your listeners can understand it. Like, you know, this, there's, Nutrition science, you said, it's kind of a science, but it's not really all necessarily applied that well unless you get a lot of training. And so our diet, just anybody who's listening who's interested in dietetics or nutrition or even health coaching, it's like, okay, here's some information. But the other 80% of what helps people transform or heal, it's in relationship. And that's, that's what's not taught. So I have a ton of nutrition information. I pull that when I need to. You need some enzymes. Great. Let's work on that. Let's tell your gut health, whatever. But that's like 20% of what we do and what's necessary. The other 80% is really the relationship building and entertaining the function of any kind of dysfunctional relationship with food. And even understanding like it's not even if you think about it, hindsight, you could say like, well, even a dysfunctional relationship with food, it once had a very functional purpose was just to help somebody survive what was mm-hmm. too much or overwhelming um or just trying to survive a situation and so it doesn't matter yeah where you're coming from even if therapy people are listening to this it's like um you know we don't always talk people into behavior change or even read ourselves into behavior change we need the information but really it's the other 80 percent of like can i be with what is and can i reach for other resources that are healthier or safer for me and to learn to be in a relationship with myself and other people and the world and boundaries and all the other stuff that actually helps people heal their relationship with food. So yeah, I didn't learn any of that in school. I had to go out and get like a PhD's worth of spending in education to, to do this, you know, at a, at a high level where, you know, you don't hurt or trigger anybody essentially, you know? So it's, right. you know, it's, um, but you know, that's the road sometimes we all start on and that's okay. And I realized when I was in my education, I'm like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not going to be a traditional dietitian and that's okay. We need dietitians that can be in the hospital and do two fittings and stuff. I'll know all that stuff. That's important. But if you feel really called to be a helper and in a relationship, the other work is what's going to be even more valuable. Absolutely. And I like that you said that like there's no right or wrong way to be a dietitian. We definitely do need those ones that you and I aren't really right. Um, So, yeah, definitely. I 100 percent agree with that. So I kind of wanted to actually go back to what you said much earlier. Um, And you mentioned how us women will read all of these books, like these self-help books, these personal development mindset books. And we're reading all these books and we feel like, okay, I like know what to do or, you know, I'm reading what to do and I've read all the things, but nothing's actually changing within me. And I see a lot of women getting caught up in the reading, but 
it's like there's something missing. And it seems like that's a lot of the work that you and I both do. So I would like to hear more from you um, about that approach. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, I hate to be simplistic, but it's very much relational. Like if we have shame around bodies, that didn't happen in a vacuum. I look at it backward, like from like, okay, where you're at backwards and then move our way forward again. It's like shame around food and body didn't happen from a book. Usually, usually there's a wound of shame that's in relationship with something, our environment, a person, and it creates this like, okay, now I'm going to couple it up with something. I feel like I can manage with it, food, body, over-exercise, um, restrictive eating, binge eating, whatever it is we're doing. And that gets coupled up with like shame usually. And the only way to heal that is in relationship. You really can't usually do that embodied thing process from reading a book. We need to read the books. I don't know where I'd be without some of these first books that I read. And there were only like three, you know, back in 1996. There weren't that many that were helpful, but they take you down this path of possibility. And then you need to like um, get out of your head and into your body. And that's where, you know, taking risks. So if you're not working with somebody, but taking risks, like go to restaurants that you don't know what the food is or what's going to happen and force yourself to look around and remind yourself like how I know that I'm okay enough here and what do I want? And let's try a little bit and check in again those experiences of how you embody freedom. We can't just do it and read a book. You have to take some risk. And so it's either a relationship with yourself and some things you do experiment with and learn, or it's, yeah, that's really efficient way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about risks and obviously when you're in an eating disorder or struggling with your relationship with food and you know it's time to take some risks with that relationship to heal your relationship with food, it's scary, right? But that's kind of like where the mindset stuff for me, at least personally, comes in and changing my relationship with how I viewed like scary things. How did you approach taking those risks within your own oh, recovery? Nobody's ever asking. I love that question. You know, for me, I, um, I, how do I, re- that's a really good question with a fear, you know, for better, for, for bad or for worse. So there's pros and cons to my approach <laughs> at, you know, looking as a professional, look at how I did it when I was younger is like, I suppress fear a lot. I was a person that's like, if this is inhibiting something that I think is going to maybe make other people uncomfortable, my eating disorder, or is going to hold me back from some goals I have, which I'm kind of like a, um, kind of a, I'm very much a kinesthetic doer, emotional kind of person. So it's like for better, for worse, I would do stuff that would freak me out. And then I would deal with like the emotions later. (laughs) I'm not saying that's the right approach. Um, but, you know, for me, um, I do remember, okay, something that was a very big motivator for me to push through fear is I don't want to hurt other people. And I knew that my relationship with food and how I viewed my body was, you know, because when, you when you're, okay, for example, if you have fat bias or fear of fatness, you know, that, I mean, we all know that's a systemic thing. It's not something you just make up, you're born and like, oh, I fear fatness. We don't, you know, we learn that's like a, an umbrella that we're all in and under. And so when I recognize like that, I'm like, okay. So I remember this this is a a common story to tell my clients. I mean, one day I was at the grocery store and at this point I was doing pretty old with food, still a little restricty, still a little bingy, but doing pretty good. But on my cart, I looked at my, um, this is how we'll talk about decoding in a second. So I was on my grocery store conveyor belt and I had my healthy food and I had my binge food. And if you, if a person looking at it, they would think, oh, this person has a varied diet. But that's not how I ate. But nobody would know that. So that's projection and stereotypes, right? But I knew what my food was for. And I was really anxious about it. Because I'm sitting there having this, like, in my head conversation about how I'm going to, like, not eat all the ice cream. But knowing good and well, I probably wouldn't all that day. And all of a sudden, I started feeling really fat. We all know that I feel fat is I feel uncomfortable. But we'll talk about it in a second. But so I'm having all this fear. And all of a sudden, I look over and I see a woman who's in a larger body than me. And I looked at her cart and her cart looked like mine, but just more food because she had kids with her. So I knew she had more people to feed than just one person. So I'm like, I started projecting about like, you know, um, 
you know, I'm maybe fitter than this person. And I caught myself like, oh my gosh, this is not the person I want to be. I don't consider myself a judgmental person, but I'm doing it right now because of this, this fat bias that I, that I was recognizing was a real thing at that moment. I'm like, you know what? I feel fat is not about my body size. Because two seconds ago, I probably saw, kind of saw this person and thought nothing about her. And I wasn't, but, you know, I'm in my own system feeling scared, scared about binging on this ice cream, which I'm probably going to do. And like, oh, so when I feel these strong emotions, I'm putting it into the language of food and body. And then I'm all over the place projecting about like, who looks better? You know, who's better? And I'm like, none of this is real. This is all a movie. So when I say fear, it's like I had to grab that fear at that moment and decide, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to project it on myself and other people, create harm to myself and others? We didn't, she doesn't even know it. Um, or am I going to get real about the fact that like I have got to eat a bigger variety of food? And that's where I have to take those risks. Otherwise, I'm going to keep doing these kind of thoughts and behaviors and I don't like it. Mm. So that's a pretty long, intense I mean, story about it. But like that's how I did things over and over and over again. I would catch those projections catch how like what was the bigger ripple effect that it had on my life and maybe others that either I knew or didn't know and is that how I want to be yeah 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 so I don't know if that helps with the fear example but it was a big thing to like oh when when we make our dealing with our feelings about how we're going to move in our world with food we're missing the boat of how to learn how to handle fear Yeah, no, I think that was a great example for sure. And I like that you brought up awareness too, because I feel like when we get scared or fearful about food choices or different parts of recovery, it's really easy just to get caught up in that fear or those feelings of being scared. And this is a really good transition to then to what I do with pretty much everybody is so when we're speaking through the language, or when we are, so, so I know you can't see my hands, but on your left hand, imagine like um, food and body. And on your right hand, put in like um, thoughts, emotions, like just naming those things. In our culture, now put your hands together. In our culture, we have like convoluted the way of expressing rage and shame and grief and fear into instead of actually really having resources to deal with that, we translate into into the language of food and body. And instead of saying, I feel fat, we say, I feel, instead of saying, I feel scared, I feel shame, I feel alone, I feel whatever, we say, I feel fat. Or it could be, oh my gosh, I got a binge. You know, so you're headed to pick up all your things to binge or whatever you're doing, both ways. I did it all. So, you know, it's the same penny. So don't think that restricting is somehow like less bad than binging or purging. It's not. Same penny, just flip it over. You know, it's, they all, it's the same. So what I have people do instead of like every single time without exception, it doesn't matter if you weigh 60 pounds or 600 pounds, every single time a person feels or thinks I feel fat, what you're saying is I feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's time to start decoding the language of that. And so if you imagine yourself having like a piece of paper and you put change, uh, food, I call it food and body talk. So like draw a wire in a piece of paper, food and body talks on the left and upper and then beyond the right hand upper is like um, radical self-care problem solving. At the very bottom of that Y is going to be, I feel fat. In the middle, you have a choice at that fork in the road is recognizing I can have awareness and have a choice now. I can go play, change the body game. Or I can say, like, what just happened is making me feel so uncomfortable. And if I'm not sure, can I be hypothetical? And people say, no, Tracy, I'm afraid if I make the wrong food choice that I'll get fat and nobody will like want to be around me. And it's like, huh, okay, I get it. So what I'm hearing is you're fearful of being alone, vulnerable. What is it that we're talking about here that you think if I gain weight, that will happen? And we just have to do this over and over and over again until you're like, you can catch it yourself and be like, oh, I feel uncomfortable. I feel, I feel fat. I feel uncomfortable. What's going on? Because We've all tried it and we've all done it. And probably most people listening to this are pretty, pretty good dieters, but they never got the confidence they truly wanted, the love they truly wanted, the certainty they truly wanted, or the capacity to deal with stress they truly wanted. They just got more of the food and body talk that never ends. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's all about getting to the root of what that actually means. And I really like how you said at the beginning, you know, when you look at your plate and you're trying to manipulate or control your plate, it's because of a deeper issue. It's because of, for an example, like what you just said, maybe you're fearful of being alone or you think that because of your body looking a certain way, then that will lead to you being alone eventually. Yeah. Right. Right. And so we have to get, you know, there's more work to be done underneath that around like um, your own experiences, you know, with, with body and aloneness and how you got it and how much of that was just like super unfortunate circumstances, how much is maybe just fear of the unknown and how much it is. I don't actually, because I'm so stuck in what the worst is going to happen. I don't look up to see like what good is happening. I'm so focused on like protection. They don't look at like, here's goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all kinds of directions you can go with that. But um, when it comes to like, again, food choices, it's like, we kind of give the body too much credit for being so picky. It's like the body doesn't too, want too much of any one thing. We don't need even to micromanage anything because we do have this, amazing wisdom that our bodies have around like, you know, if we're eating lots of, I call it play food, you're going to eventually get this inkling of like, I'm really kind of sick of this. And I want to have some grilled chicken and some potatoes and vegetables or something, you know, it will change. Um, how long it takes is depending on how long you've been restrictive, but it does change. And as you become more normal, more and more like normalized and regulated with your food choices, your food just gets a little naturally more varied, which takes care of the whole health thing. I fully agree with that a hundred percent. So I think this would be a really great time to talk about maybe judging our choices or critiquing our choices or our needs, right? I recently read a blog post of yours and it was about like just not judging what your body needs. And I think one thing I know with my audience is like hunger when we're really hungry and then we automatically start thinking, well, I shouldn't be hungry for the Like I just ate breakfast or I just had a snack or yesterday I ate the exact same thing and it satisfied me. Why am I hungry today? So there's a lot of judgment towards what our bodies need. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, again, since we don't live, our bodies are a vacuum system. There's all kinds of reasons why we can need a little bit or a lot bit more from day to day. Most of the times things aren't big variations. There's like a really average of things that help us keep us in equilibrium. But I think the more important question, so you have a little nutrition science there, but the more important question is what makes it so important for you to need to eat the same amount every day? Mm-hmm. What's important about that? Because that's the question that will answer how come you're judging it. And you can always ask yourself that question, how come I'm judging it? And so if I were to answer, somebody asked me that question, I, think I would ask them, how come you're judging it? Because like, basically the bottom line is they feel like it's too much. And how would, and I said, well, how would you know it's too much? What is your body saying? They're not in their, they're in their head about it. There's still some like, probably my guess is there's probably some residual fearful. Everything's not exactly the same all the time. That makes their body might change. So that needs to be unpacked. Um, or, you know, this could be a totally different issue around like just struggling with change. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have any thoughts of like some more, comments you've had from your clients or, or listeners, but I would say from that blog post I wrote, like we do have this idea, like as compared to our old diet mind or diet culture, um, like we think we should need a certain amount, but just because you survive on that amount, isn't, isn't the amount you need to thrive. I mean, our goal here is thriving and being free, not like on how little you can get by on. That's, you know, that's just a prison you know, a prison cell with no wall, no, 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 there's no door on it. You can walk out when you want, but it's a self-imposed, like, I shouldn't need this much or I don't, I, this is more than I used to eat. Well, how would your life look like? What did your life look like when you used to eat that much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually, I'm happy you bring up that point about just thriving and 
not needing to eat like as little as possible just to get by, but we want to be thriving. And that's something actually that's been on my mind a lot lately. And for me personally, I've always been a lover of food. Like I love eating. And so for me throughout my recovery journey, like eating more food, I mean, of course I've had to work through some mental things, right? Like that conditioning Mm -hmm. that I had to like unpack and get to the root of, but I love eating a lot of food. And I just, that was something that's just been on my mind and on my heart lately that I wish Mm -hmm. more women would strive to be like, okay, like how much can I eat to like, you know, how much can I actually eat to make me feel my best versus, okay, how little should I be eating? to just like be at this maintenance place. Well, so you maintenance, you're literally forcing your body to, um, you know, dip it into its nutrition reserves. And I see that's where people, you know, long-term sometimes run into like these chronic health issues because they've been chronically dieting and they've been in the eating disorder. Um, it doesn't matter what your weight is. You can't live off of nothing. Mm-hmm. You can't just eat your body continually and think you're going to feel flourishing, let alone eventually barely got to get, get out of bed. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have, that, I mean, that's what diet culture does. It, it's got this brainwashing that like, you only need this much food and you could be superwoman or man or whatever. But the truth is like, no, our bodies need a certain amount of food, whatever it's equilibrium amount is to like be thriving and be able to do stuff. Now I know that like some people are listening, like, well, I think I'm eating enough. I just don't always feel good. And I know that sometimes, gosh, we go through times in life that are rough health wise and whatever, and can't control all that. But for the most part, it's like, remember, diet culture isn't about you thriving at all. It's about you kind of like just barely surviving, but selling the fantasy that like, if you just look a certain way and you can keep it all together, you're going to be confident and the best mom or partner or worker or whatever. And it's just the opposite. When you're well-fed and you're thriving, all those things happen. That confidence you want, you get it from being present in your life that attraction, like people want to be attractive. Like, well, if you take off the IBE, that means attract. Who do you want to attract? Do you want to attract only people that care about the size of your, your pants? Or do you want to communicate with people that like see you and know you? And that's you thriving. So the things you want are more attainable when you're well-fed. Yes, I could not agree more. I just recently received a question from a follower about constantly thinking about food. And I know for me personally, throughout my like ups and downs and dips and valleys and everything like that throughout eating disorder recovery, I know the moments in my life when I was thinking about food the most was when I was not eating enough. And then as soon as I started eating more, like way more than I even thought I ever like, quote unquote, needed. Right. Yeah. I I stopped thinking about food and it was just something that like I was eating more, but I wasn't thinking about it at all. Like to the extent that I had been in the past when I wasn't eating enough. And I would love for you to maybe share your thoughts on that, too. Oh, well, it's one of the cornerstones of whether you are coming from like a more intense disorder eating past or or a chronic dieting, yo-yo dieting past is that. Um, so throw some science out there, too. If you've ever read the semi-starvation studies, it's like it is one of the first side effects. If you eat less food, your brain is going to kick into like, OK, where's the food? How do you get the food? How am I going to find the food? You see all that food stuff going on, like recipes and Look, you know, back in my day, there wasn't Pinterest, you know, there was just like recipe books and I would be obsessive and go to the library and make copies of food I never ate kind of stuff. Now there's cooking shows and all the other things that make it 10 times more accessible. That's a natural consequence of not having enough food. And so we have to replete. So think about the pirate ship at the fair, you know, you know, it's like, if you're way over here restricting, you're probably going to have an arc of needing to eat to replete to come back to your equilibrium. But most people stop short of like, they go to the middle and they want to stop here because we get scared. Mm-hmm. And then you're wondering like, well, this process isn't working for me. Well, because you're still holding back. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about food, go eat, eat the ice cream cone, be done with it. I'm not saying you eat to be sick, 
I'm not saying that you ignore any health concerns you have and just not care because I don't want you to like get, if you have a health condition, don't make yourself sicker by binging on things or anything like that. Get some support for that. But for the most part, we need to eat more to replete. That's just that if you think about it very naturally, that's a natural arc of how things have to come back to like homeostasis. You have to heal the deficit. I really yeah. like so, that visual of the... Yeah, the pipe, you know, the pipe yeah I really that like that. Like, you got to come back down, but you got to go way up here first and come back yeah, to the middle. That's and the such you, a great the visual. Do, yeah, the sooner you do it, the sooner you get to like some repletion. Now you can't make it magic. You know, the, the studies are really clear. Like you start eating more food and even if it's not intuitive, maybe you're just mechanically eating, but you're getting more in. I mean, most people don't feel better at first. You're going to have a lot of emotional letdown of letting down. Like I feel like I'm letting myself down. I was so good at this. Now I have nothing. All that old stuff's going to come back. And so you're going to feel worse before you feel better emotionally for sure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong though. It's just that but we've got to heal the deficit and we've got to let all that stuff at its own pace come to surface so you can do what you need to do with that to heal. Yeah. But yeah. Food restriction is going to cause obsession. It's going to cause, um, this background, this low fluorescent light noise of like food, 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 food outside of the times of needing to make, eat, make food decisions. And it doesn't take much. You can be eating a couple hundred calories less a day that you need consistently and enough to feel like what's wrong with me. And I'm like, yeah. nothing, but you're like, you know, only 80% there in your day. If we fix this gap, I think you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. If you allow that sometimes it's as simple as that. Okay. I have another question or topic to talk about related to this topic. So just going above and beyond just like being at a maybe calorie or energy deficit to like what our body actually needs that's prompting these thoughts of food. And if we were just to eat more, maybe those thoughts or likely those thoughts will go away. I know both you and I have experienced that with ourselves and our clients, obviously. What about when it comes to like macronutrients? So can someone like be restricting a macronutrient, but maybe getting enough like energy, like calorie wise, but -hmm. then they're also being like, taken up with thoughts or obsessive thoughts about food just because they're not getting enough of a certain macronutrient. Yep. I'm glad you let me have the opportunity to talk about that. So there's like deprivation from calories. There can be deprivation from like what you want. So there's emotional and and mental deprivation that can cause some like, I call it deprivation driven eating. And then there's this like, yeah, get your calorie needs met. But if you're not eating fat or carbs, because you're just not for whatever your food rule reasons are or some reasons that maybe aren't truly backed in how the body works. Yeah. You're going to obsess. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to, to think about when you go to your meals and snacks to bring in as much, I say normalcy. That's a very air quote word, but it's like, there's a reason there's three macronutrients that must mean we need them. There's exactly. only three. Thank you. There's three that we have to worry. You don't even have to worry. And they all have very three distinct functions without one of them or both. You're going to have, you're going to have mental, physical and emotional struggles. Yeah. Even like, and in my opinion, those like obsessive thoughts, maybe you are restricting fat or carbs or protein, whichever one, if you are restricting one of those, I don't even think really those obsessive thoughts are all coming from just because there's restriction there, because both you and I know that if you were to restrict um, fruit, for an example, you're going to want fruit. That's just the way it goes. But I Mm -hmm. feel like when you're holding back on a certain macronutrient, it's like your body literally needs that macronutrient. And that is why you're thinking about food all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You got it. I mean, (laughs) this point doesn't need a lot of of storytelling. It's just there was three macronutrients. There's a reason for all three. Yeah. Yeah. In our food supply. And and be way before we had lots of grocery stores around, there was three foods, three, three food groups, or not three groups, but three ma- ma- main macronutrients that have things that, that we all need in different proportions. And it's up to us to figure out in our own experience with food, what meal mix is best for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And that takes time too. So how did that really show up in your life after going through an eating disorder and now obviously having a healthy relationship with food and now helping women recover Mm -hmm. from their disordered relationships with food? What are some of the key practices that you would recommend to our listeners about overcoming like diet obsession or just having a disordered relationship with food besides like unpacking? Like what are some other action steps for them to take? Okay. Well, so action steps would be, um, keep, you gotta keep food around. It can't be just like this. Well, I guess I'll eat what I want, but if what happens is people find themselves, you kind of have to change the way you go about your life. So if you were a person who was kind of just sticking with a plan and it was simple, you're probably going to have to stop drop and reevaluate like how you get food in your house and how, how and where there is time to, to make it happen for yourself. And then, and what way would you do it? Um, to me, to be the most attuned you can. So if you're a breakfast skipper, cause you think you don't need it, you're not hungry. Well, are you checking in enough? So checking in more, having food around, actually planning to be satisfied, taking risks. That means if you can't do risks by yourself, going out with people, the places, sharing meals with people would be good. Um, you know, any way that you can get more variety in your life to learn around food would be really important. Mm-hmm. Um, from a body image perspective, you know, get rid of all the toxic stuff for sure on your social media in the books you have in your house, the people in your life, you can't get rid of all your people. Cause maybe you love some of your people that, you know, aren't so great with food or body, but learn to be like the, the master of like changing the subject and keeping a boundary around that. Um, decoding, I feel fat all the time, constantly. Like that's gotta be like, like it's your job because mm-hmm. the more you do it, the more you have a neural pathway to do it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, those are a bunch of tips, action tips for sure. Um, you know, and I didn't I know we didn't talk about it. And maybe this is for another, another podcast, but, you know, I'm really much, you know, most of my work is revolved around um, um, somatic work around um, like developmental trauma and how it links up with food as well. So if you're really struggling with this stuff and you've done everything that we're suggesting and it's like, I just can't hold it in my system and I can't remember it. And it's like, I knew it for a while and then I can't wait to not do it. You really need to work with some people that have a lot of experience with negotiating this. Cause it's not a, it's not a cognitive process. It's really like a, a body-based, like kids and children just communicate through body more than they can do any kind of rational thought. And if that's where some of your struggles are stem from, that you can't just hold on to, then maybe something to do with that and, you know, reach out for some help around that. Yeah. It's so important to have a support team. And I know when I was going through recovery years ago, my parents always reminded me because it just seemed to me that we were like always adding people to my support team. And my dad would always remind me, the more people supporting you, the better. And, you know, by the end of it, I had a lot of people on my healthcare team, but I do agree. Like it was definitely for the best. And Like you said, even at the beginning of the show, you're not going to click with everyone, right? There was definitely amazing people as part of my health journey, but there was also people along the way that I was like, okay, we're not a good fit and that's okay. They're going to be a good fit for someone else and I'm also going to find someone else, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, that's the thing. Just keep going because all this is worth it. If it takes you two years, seven years, 20 years, I work with people who've been at interest for 50 years sometimes and people can get better. You know, it's just a matter of like your readiness, finding the right fit. Um, and you know, sometimes multiple people on your team, not just one or two even to exactly. like get you, get your system up to the place where it can have more capacity to actually be free mm-hmm. because all like again i just go and i'll end it with this like all struggle with food weight food beliefs food rules whatever we're doing um it's an adaptive strategy for survival it's not because it's fun or like oh my cheese having a eating disorder today it's like <laughs> something got looped up something happened and our culture doesn't um even you know 
there's there's a disconnect between like how bad a problem it is because there's so our culture in general so blind to like our own biases and our own how we communicate with emotions and trauma and just listening to each other. So we're not going to get the reinforcement on commercials or on TV. You better fix this. You're going to get lots of commercials for stuff you don't need. Right. <laughs> but you're not going to get because the encouragement like on a daily basis. So there's a level of um, just recognizing if you don't feel free, then okay. It doesn't matter how intense you think it is or isn't to deserve it or what your weight is. It doesn't matter. If you're not free, then you need to allow yourself to get the help you need. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of the inspiring words. I think we hit on some really good topics today and I know I could personally just keep chatting with you forever and ever. So, um, but we will wrap up to today's episode, but before we go, I would like to ask you, what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? Oh, well, you know what? It's a good word. When I think about unbreakable, what I think about is um, resiliency and capacity. So like bad stuff can happen and we can resource ourselves in terms of like people, um, nature, body trust. This is what nobody can take away from you once you kind of like earned it essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think resiliency is something that comes up most often when I ask my guests what it means, but I totally agree with that for sure. But I always love hearing everyone's different answers. So Tracy, for everyone who is going to want to start reading your blog, because I highly recommend it. It's so great. You have such a variety of different posts, but they're all so meaningful. So listeners definitely check out Tracy's blog but where can everyone find you and then I will link everything up in the show notes as well okay well at my blog is Tracy Brown RD uh I do a lot I do Facebook lives Monday Wednesday Friday all kinds of topics the same kind of thing um Tracy Brown RD um and I you know also have a gosh, I have a couple groups. <laughs> They're free and some are like a membership groups where you do like kind of group counseling this kind of work as well. And that's a tune eating for a tune living. Um, and then lastly, I train professionals. So health coaches, dietitians, dietitian B, nutritionist, um, how to do this like deeper decoding, like um, body image issues and um, like really, really in-depth counseling skills. So you can go to thriving dietitians for that or whatever. So there's a lot of places you can find me depending on what your needs are. Awesome. I will have all of that linked up. Thank you so much, cool. Tracy. You're welcome. Thank you for having me and everybody. Um, I, uh, thanks for listening. 